Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and I'm alongside my good buddy, my good friend, my good pal. That's the setup? Yeah. That was a good one. I, 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 was, I was waiting for like a, a smoother ramp. Like I saw the path and then just fog, and I thought to myself, what, is there a brick wall? On the no. other side, what do I do? Yes, Paul Gillieri. I just That's had to change it, it up and, and really give you the, the warm uh, salutation that you deserve. I'm not intro. used to that, based on all the derogatory remarks that you make before we start recording. Oh, I just rip into Paul before you hit record. <laughs> what do you got there? What is that? Mm. Yeah, I'm going with a cerveza tonight. It's, it's, normally I have... Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, mm. not, not normally my speed, but, uh, you yeah. know. It was in the fridge and figured well, down tonight. I had an Allagash white ale with dinner. It was lovely. Yeah. I haven't had one of those in a while. What, what'd you have with that? Uh, I mean, barbecue chicken. There you go. Cause that, that's one of those that you almost kind of have to have with the meal. A good yeah. Belgian ale like that. It, it's just nice compliment to it. It was nice. It was nice. The wife made rosemary mac and chicken? cheese. No, it was, it was grilled a barbecue. Oh, Kansas cool. City barbecue sauce that a friend of mine got in Kansas City. We are just dovetailing straight <laughs> away from anything resembling a podcast at this point. One, two, three, four. One, right. two, three. Exactly. Ah, see? <laughs> All right, we're back on schedule. We're, here we go. We've, we've wasted two minutes. That's fine. That's good. We got, <laughs> we got, a, we got a quota to make here. Uh, please go on to the socials and follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. State of Love and Trust underscore pod is where you can find us. Get on your Apple or Spotify or Google or Stitcher or Dweezer or Teaser or Beezer or Freezer, whatever the hell you got going on. Rate, that's, review, subscribe. That thing right there. There you go. That's the stuff there we want to do. And uh, yeah, love to talk to you on the socials. We have some good conversations. Um, in the last couple of weeks, some really good ones, which I've really enjoyed. Yeah. So keep it coming, guys. Right. Keep it coming. Um, today, we've got a, another big kind of philosophical type of topic that we're going to talk about. I teased it last week simply with the word no. Yeah. But first, as they say, you got to have some appetizers. App- appetizers? Appetizers. <laughs> can't even speak. <laughs> App- um, here we go. So the first couple of things we want to talk about, a couple of news items. One is kind of silly. It is uh, having to do with a tribute band. This is a little old. We wanted to kind of push this to the side while things kind of developed and they have uh, the developments have ended. So we figured we'd talk about it now. And that is that of a tribute band out of the UK called Pearl Jam. <laughs> and they are no longer that. D- are Double M. So uh, legal jam? Is that legal what they jam. Legal, legal jam. jam. Yeah. The story behind this is actually pretty funny. Uh, so, you know, Jason, we've, we've had the pleasure of getting to know a variety of tribute bands around the world, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been a pleasure and a privilege. And uh, we, we've had a few members of these bands up on our pod uh, multiple times, actually. And I, I think we should look into scheduling an interview with these, these blokes, these gents. What do you think? Um, I'm down. I, yeah, I want to hear... We, 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 I want to hear the story, the download yeah. on this. But so anyway, so basically the, the band name was Pearl Jam with two M's at the end. And uh, needless to say, uh, legal action was <laughs> threatened, taken on. I think it was just threatened. And uh, and the band decided it was it was time to change their name. But uh, they posted basically the, the letter that they received from the band's legal team. Mm-hmm. By the band, I mean actual Pearl Jam. And uh, I don't know if this was like a, 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 I don't know. I don't want to speak for these guys. I don't know if it was a, a plea for sympathy, if it was uh, an expression of disappointment or mm. what, but um, they were not really happy with the fact that, at least this is my read on it. I could be totally wrong. They didn't seem pleased that they were being asked to change their name. Uh, obviously, you know, 
<laughs> just adding another M is a very, uh, how do I say this? You're kind of asking for it. Sort of, <laughs> a little bit. You're sort of asking for it. So I would be interested in, in chatting with these guys about this. And uh, I've, we should do a little research, you know, and, and, and see, 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 these, see these guys uh, in action. I, I'd be curious to know. I will the bar put is in- set pretty high by some it of the is. wonderful bands that we've had a, a chance to hear. You know, we have not entered the Eastern Hemisphere yet. Mm-mm. Is, is I don't know where in England these guys are from, but they could split, you know, they could be on either side of the, of the Greenwich Mean Time line. Right. What is that called? Prime Meridian? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so either they could be in the Eastern half of this world. We don't know. But anyways, we should put in a little media request with these guys. Yeah. You know, one of them, the guitarist, the main guitarist, this guy, Matt, uh, is the uh, the guy that runs the uh, Let's Play All YouTube channel where he teaches you how to play all these songs. Yeah. And, and by all accounts, since they've changed their name, I believe it was not only done graciously, but but almost with a, a, a renewed, you know, reverence. To, mm. to 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 the inspiration behind their music so all is good you know what i mean there, there's no riff no no weird bad juju or anything like that but uh I, i'd be very curious to to chat with these guys. legal so, jam legal jam it sounds like they uh injected a little bit of humor into they the did movie. which yeah. i appreciate so now i, I want to talk to them even more yeah okay we got that out of our system we've mentioned yeah. it because some people were like why, why didn't you talk about this yet well here you go we've mentioned it we did <laughs> <laughs> there's something that, that you just told me about Paul before we got on the air here that I find very interesting. Can you please explain to me what we're going to talk about right now? Yes, I would be happy to. So we love Pearl Jam. And if you are listening to this podcast right now, then it's safe to say that you probably love Pearl Jam as well. However, Pearl Jam, believe it or not, is somewhat depending on the circles you hang out in, a polarizing band. And uh, I came across something. It's a 100.3 Jack FM is, uh, is what it is. And they uh, participated in something where, where their goal was to create the 21 most hated bands of all time, according to data, by the way. All right, so, so best life, bestlifeonline.com used analytical and mathematical approaches to come up with a list of the 21 most hated bands of all time. Now, this data, from what I can tell, was comprised of uh, a variety of lists. Uh, We're talking message boards, articles on the most hated bands, uh, basically, you know, whatever you could find to determine which acts would qualify. So at the top of the list, no surprise, Nickelback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, followed by no surprise, Limp Biscuit. Followed by no surprise, Creed. But you uh, two slotted in at at number uh, three, four, I think, which was a little surprising. Uh, but I, I get that. I mean, there, there's. I think it's it's Bono's political. Uh, mm. You know, I don't I don't want to call it self righteousness, but you know, his thing, I guess, uh, or the band's thing. I don't know. Um, that maybe may have contributed to that. I don't know, but other bands included, you know, Fish, Dave Matthews Band, Coldplay. Which, granted, I, I, there are fans out there of, of these bands. I have records from some of these bands. I, I, you know, early Dave Matthews. Was You're great, a big you chocolate know. starfish in the hot dog flavored water kind of guy. <laughs> Look, Coldplay had a couple albums too, you know. But here, here's where it gets surprising. Okay, obviously, you two great band. I'm, I'm not going to fight that. But you had on this list chalking in. At 19, Nirvana. 18 was Rush. Okay. Oasis was 16. Metallica was 14. The Doors, 13. Green Day was 12. Okay. Radiohead was eight. Now, I get it. There's something about some of these bands that just irks people. However, the reason I bring this up is squarely in the middle at 17, our beloved Pearl Jam. So, uh, let's talk about... Let's let's dig into some Pearl Jam hate for a second. Mm-hmm. We so he, um, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, well, I was going to say I, when I was in high school, uh, as a good friend of mine, he loathed Pearl Jam, and I for the life of me, I couldn't understand it because I was head over heels. And I one time I just asked him, I was like, "Dude, why do you hate Pearl Jam? Who hates Pearl Jam? What's the deal?" And he said, "It's uh, Eddie. I can't stand his voice." And it dawned on me that 
Eddie's voice is very particular. Mm -hmm. It's so particular that it has spawned basically an entire, what they called it, uh, what was it? Um, post grunge. It was literally, it, it, it just spawned an entire movement and genre in and of itself. Well, that was around. the hate for Scott Stapp and Creed is that it, it sounded like uh, a Pearl Jam ripoff. It's like, okay. Right, exactly. But then why right. would but you there were a the lot of acts that had that that snarling, you know, deep baritone type of aggressive vocal. Tantric? Uh, well, there's so many. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, Days of the New. There was some good yeah. shit there, man. But uh, I will say that this I thought was interesting, only in the sense that it begs the question, how do you respond? How do you how do you react to somebody who says, "God, I can't stand Pearl Jam." I get very defensive. Do you? I I off I often do, but catch myself enough to be like casual about it. Ah, I kind of well, like make fun of myself a little bit and say, "I just I def I defend him." I honestly do. I get a little perturbed. You know. See, I I find it fascinating. I, when I when my buddy told me this in high school, I was offended because I almost internalized it. Like, if you don't like Pearl Jam, you're basically saying I have. So basically, what you're saying, what I'm saying, is that I have the same emotional EQ as you did in high school. <laughs> yes, fantastic. You are stunted. That's what okay. no. I, <laughs> but where I've come to now, and and obviously a lot of this has to do with what I've been doing for a living for a decade plus. But it really just kind of coming at this from a place of curiosity. My first question would be, that's fascinating to me. As somebody who loves this band, I want to know why. Because I'm curious if there is an element of the band's music that this person is completely unaware of. I mean, just totally in the dark for. Probably. For example, for example, take Candlebox, okay? Mm -hmm. Candlebox also, a band that has a, that many folks have a love-hate relationship with. So you were familiar with Candlebox's early stuff, a couple of hit singles, mm -hmm. Far Behind, stuff like that. I've, I love that band. I've been listening to them for years. And, and so I mentioned them. I think a couple of times they were in L.A. And I said, hey, man, you want to go to the show? And you're like, eh, man, I remember this song, that song, but not really. So I said, dude, I'm telling you, they've been making solid music for years. Just, just It's totally under the radar. And I sent you some of their stuff that was more recent, like in the last 10, 15 years. And you said, actually, this, some of this is pretty good, Paul. If I recall, yeah. stop me if I'm misquoting. No, 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 you're so, right. So I can't help but wonder if some folks look at Pearl Jam and they say, yeah, the whole even flow, you know, alive thing, Jeremy, eh, and it's daughter. How repetitive is that? I'm, I was out in the 90s. Okay, fine, but just breathe and half of gigaton it's like what <laughs> doesn't no code there's so much music that i could pull from everything post vitology post yield even that doesn't even sound like it's the same band anymore in so many ways that i would want to know why and so rather than getting offended by it i almost feel this opportunity to share pearl jam in a new way so i almost get excited by the prospects mm. as opposed to looking at it in that way. I don't know why. So, well, see the, the first thing I think of when somebody says makes fun of Pearl Jam or says they don't like them is I immediately think of what are the biggest songs that this band has produced and how could you not appreciate those massive songs that were the biggest things in the world, you know, 25, 30 years ago. So that all of a sudden my, my thought process is if you can't, appreciate or like that music that's like that a lot of people have considered to be top drawer then where is your um how how are your opinions formulated then i can't well, i can't really understand your your opinion but if you can't even like thing, that right sometimes it's what you know right because take jethro toll for example right god i could not stand that band for years my whole life aqualung thick as a brick all the, I, I was not into that sound at all i did not understand it and a, a friend of mine here in la he inherited uh, a couple of boxes of, of records and he brought some over and we just had had a scotch and we were just throwing some vinyl on and he had this jethro toll album he's like hey check this one out. i said dude please just <laughs> we could pass on that one he goes really have you heard this one i said i you know i've heard aqualung all that stuff i was just never into their sound and he said, just try this one out for a second. Like this, this album really is different than the other ones. And it was their 1969 album, Stand Up. 
and I put it on and I loved it. Loved it so much, I went out and bought it. Hmm. It's the only Jethro Tull album I like. I'm not a fan of any other album they've ever done. Uh, but it was enough to make me go back and kind of, you know, try their music again. Still can't stand the rest of it. <laughs> but that album, for some reason, just, I I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, there are, are bands out there that they just kind of have that one album that you like and nothing else really resonates. Uh, Rush is a band like that for me. There's one or two Rush albums I like. Not a fan of the majority of it, believe it or not, uh, personally. So, I mean, I could totally see somebody not liking early Pearl Jam. And well, then it's the same way as, helplessly in love with binaural. You know it's kind of like the opposite <laughs> of, of fans of the band from like originally. You have, you have some people who just fell in love with the original couple of albums and then fell off when Vitalogy and especially No Code hit and they never came back to it. So they're missing and out. Some, on, some fans re found the band through those albums, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I, I would I just would love the chance to talk to folks who don't like Pearl Jam. I, I'm excited at those opportunities. I have I, I have friends that we could bring on this show. That we we should say, because hey, I would love like the rock challenge. and roll fans, people who love like Van Halen and ACDC and love all the classic stuff. It's like how did you? How do you? How does Pearl Jam not slot in with the rest of these guys? But that's okay because I there's so many eras of the band's legacy and music right. that it, it really. I mean, it, if you gave me Riot Act. And said, this is Pearl Jam. And the only Pearl Jam I ever knew was 10. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know where that came from. You know what I mean? And maybe but, that but would, would speak you have, to me if I Here's the thing, it. though. Here's the difference is that if you, if you knew of 10 and liked it and heard Riot Act, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? But if you had, if you had heard 10 and didn't like it and heard Riot Act, you might be like, oh, this is great. That's my point. I know. Exactly. I know that's your point. So I don't know if people have given them a chance over the last 15, 20 years. Um, I'd be surprised. Years? I would imagine that most folks who put Pearl Jam on the most hated list for don't them, like the original stuff. They, the, all they really like, they totally wrote the band off originally, and you know they really haven't listened to much. Maybe Last Kiss and the Fixer, you know, bled in through the airwaves a couple times. For I'd them be curious. I, I, I wonder how much of it is that versus how much of it are people who just think the band fell off after '95. Could be that too. Could be you know? that too. Uh, yeah, I mean that. that this is something I kind of want to dig into. It's it, it's an interesting exercise. And you know what? Those of you listening, I'd like to hear from you. Do you know anyone who cannot stand Pearl Jam? Because we want to talk to these people. I we're would all, love we're all to have a panel. With everything. Exactly. So. But can you imagine, we should do an episode with like a panel of three or four or five people that just do not like Pearl Jam. And, and let's just talk to these people. <laughs> Interrogate these people. It's <laughs> What is wrong with you for no. 90 minutes? <laughs> no judgment. Anyway, we're getting derailed here, but uh, I thought it was interesting. I think it's a and worthy discussion to have. And I'm curious to see which side of the coin it is where you liked them originally and fell off and think they've sucked since 95. Or if you didn't like the original stuff and never bothered to listen to the rest of it. And so there, there, is, there could be something in there that you do like, but you just assume that it's more of the same. I would be shocked if everybody listening to this did not know at least one person who wasn't a Pearl Jam fan, just didn't like the band. And I want to know. I want, I want you listening to the show right now. I want you to ask that person. Just come from a place of empathy and understanding and just say, you know what? I find this really fascinating because I really love the band and you don't. And I want, I want to understand why. I'm really curious. I want to hear this feedback. You need to come at that friend like Mr. Burns when he looks like the alien. <laughs> we come with love. He's coming with love. Break its legs. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Anyway, <laughs> I told you we were going to talk about the word no. Yes, we are. And no Pearl Jam for some, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Good segue. Reverse segue. Yeah. Retroactive segue. So the idea, the word no, that is an important Important word in the Pearl Jam uh, story. There is a term called the birth of no. This was spawned by one Stone Gossard when he was interviewed for Pearl Jam 20 by Cameron Crowe. And if you don't recall that, uh, what he's referring to is the movie singles MTV premiere party on September 10th, 1992. Uh, that's actually 25 years to the day before my son was born. 
How about that? Wow, that's nuts. You may recall uh, from this party, either watching it live or watching Pearls M20 or seeing a clip on YouTube, that the band was very drunk that night, <sighs> especially when they were playing the namesake of our show, State of Love and Trust. Mm-hmm. And Ed swearing throughout the song so much so that Brendan O'Brien had to kind of go back and dub in some of the studio recordings so that MTV could actually air this. Uh, Ed yelling fuck MTV throughout the whole party. And they had taken maybe a dozen days off um, from touring since the 10 tour kind of started in the summer of 91 ish. Seriously go back to like, Go to livefootsteps.org, go to Pearl Jam Stat Tracker, go to one of these sources and you'll see there's very few days off. It's just, it's almost like just continuous touring for a year and a half, man. So they were asked to do this, this TV show. And if you recall from last week's episode, when we did Even Flow was our live cut of the week and where we did from the more theater, where Eddie is obviously very famously pissed off at Josh for having lights on because they're filming. They are not fans of TV shows at this time. Nope. Uh, so they flipped out and they said, no, we're not going to do this shit anymore. And I want to play something for you right now. Um, before we kind of really dive into the, the depths of this, uh, philosophically speaking, this is the very next night in Irvine, California at the amphitheater still exists, by the way. It was Lollapalooza, night 31 of 33. So they would have had a night off the night before, but instead they did this party and got drunk and, and flipped out and decided no more. Here's the very end of the first song of that set. You see my point. We're sick of these fucking TV shows. They're they're happy to be back with the people who really want to see them and not this corporate nonsense. This is the beginning of the band controlling their narrative. This is important. And Paul, I will I will tee you up and say to you very openly why. So Gigaton just came out, 11th album band's 30th anniversary right last fall uh where would they be if they had not said no um you did a wonderful job providing us with kind of the the foundational background the context for where this this came from you know basically the the band largely eschewing traditional promotion uh largely music videos you know what i mean Uh, which had been kind of like seemingly the the calling card for all bands in the early nineties. And, and of course the eighties with the advent of MTV. And, and, and we had some, we had alive, we had oceans, we had the hunger strike video with temple, the dog, obviously even flow and Jeremy. And, uh, I just feel like they saw what they were becoming. They saw the corporate machine. They saw how you take artists that are trying to create music to to, you know, Andy Wood, music is the language of, of, of love. You know, music, music is the universal language, I think, is, is, is the lyric in uh, Man of Golden Words. And here's this, this conglomerate, basically, you know, this industry that tries to monopolize that purely for profit and could care less who it reaches, what it means. None of that matters. It's just whatever the formula is. And let's just produce music that fits that. And Eddie had a wonderful comment recently where he talked a little bit about today's music. And he mentioned how, you know, he didn't, he didn't pass judgment on, on the popular music of today, but he did say that he felt that there was a high, high fructose content in a lot of it. And uh, I thought that was a very, 
tactful way of, of addressing <laughs> some of the music that, yeah. that, that the youth of today is exposed to. It's, it, it feels like it's a logarithm, you know what I mean? Or an algorithm, pardon me. It, it feels like it's, it's basically just hit these notes, put this together, these measures, this is the, the, the tone you want, and you know, this will be a hit. As By the way, funny to- enough, um, before you carry on, I just want to make mention that time is like a flat circle because think about the, the music in the 40s and 50s where it was yeah. just sessions, sessions, and they had like eight songwriters out of New York and would pump out every damn song. And Muscle Shoals had like every single blues record ever made. Yeah. And it was just all production, production, production. It wasn't like there wasn't any soul until all of a no. sudden it kind of spawned out of that. I know. Blues became rock and roll. And it's like, okay, there you go. But it's this amazing thing. And that was organic though. And that's, that's the thing is that, that it was the commercialization of what was meant to be organic and a a form of expression and outreach that was redefining our culture. So 1994 hits, and that's just a cascade of chaos. I mean, we're talking Kurt Cobain's death. You got Ticketmaster, that whole fiasco, the tour gets canceled. Um, you know, Eddie's getting stalked, obviously inspiration for Luke. And we talked about that in the last couple of episodes, Dave gets fired. I mean, that whole mess ensued as well. Then they bring Jack Irons in and it's just this, this calming element that essentially reminds the band of, of what friendship means and, and, uh, things started to get fixed, but I feel like that, that need to say no was the band's way of saying this is about self-preservation. You know, we're not going to survive if we don't say no. Well, think about this. So if they had, if they hadn't have said no, I think it's it's very possible they would have just burned out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who do we compare them to then? I mean, not, not burning out, but just one and done kind of thing. Jeff Buckley, Operation Ivy, Sex Pistols, Minor Threat, and if you think about it, it would be actually a crazy groundhog day for Jeff and Stone. Yeah. Green River. Yeah. Mother of Bone. Because <laughs> they haven't seen that before, right? Temple of the Dog. And then 10. Uh, do these guys, I mean, what happens to those guys? Do they just decide, fuck, this isn't, this isn't for us? I think Ed probably goes on to have something of success. But, I mean, Jesus Christ. That's a lot of stopping and starting for Stone and Jeff. I, I don't yeah, know if they can get it, past it that. Really and after a while you might think the universe is just trying to tell you something. And, and so you're playing the game and playing by the rules, but the rules are there to exploit you. And like right. you said, uh, and for, for all your worth and, and until you recognize your worth, you can't, you're not going to say no. And they finally do at that point. So it's like, you think about the band finally recognizing their, their worth there and saying, Mm-mm, we're going to control the narrative. And it made us kind of think of, not to compare these directly, but like, what are some, what are some stories and what are some um, timelines where recognizing your worth and saying no has been a massive societal human race event. You've got civil rights, LGBTQ rights, me too. I mean, these are macro issues and their birth of no may have been over years or decades. Um, and some it's still going on it's for some of them. You know, There's always been a breaking point, if not uh, many that kind of shift the paradigm. Um, you think about racism, for example. I'll try, I'll try and touch on these quickly, but you know, Selma, Rodney King, George Floyd, with literally thousands of incredibly indelible moments, indelible moments um, before, during, and after, and in between uh, all those points I just mentioned. I mean, there was a war about it. I don't know if you remember that. Um, <laughs> And I'm not trying to be reductive here, but uh, this show is supposed to be around an hour long. So I have to kind of edit myself down. I'm not going to go over every single point there, but (laughs) uh, skipping ahead to LGBTQ struggles, uh, they've had their own inflection points. U.S. Supreme Court ordering the post office to deliver a pro-gay publication, first of its ruling of its kind back in like the fucking 40s or something like that. You've got the Stonewall riots of 69. You've got uh, homosexuality finally being declared not a mental illness in 1973. Vermont legalizing same-sex marriage in 2000 and the nation agreeing in 2015. If you go to Me Too, uh, it's seemingly in its relative infancy having started in 2017, but that has been building for literally millennia. 
And I feel like this is the most obvious thing in the world to say, but women have been exploited for goddamn ever. Yeah. You know, all the, the time. <laughs> the, the Me Too, Me Too was the biggest inflection point, I think, this side of suffrage and the Equal Pay Act of 63. And it took women of film, TV, and music to, uh, to kind of take it upon themselves to say, no more. We're going to put ourselves out there, take a chance, set an example, put ourselves in the spotlight. It seems to be working, maybe not quickly enough, but change has happened probably more quickly in this point in time than over the previous, you know, that uh, centuries. So we, we can't underestimate the power of saying no and to realize your value is to realize your destiny and, and recognizing that power of no. So it's like Pearl Jam fans often look at Ticketmaster or as you mentioned, Jack Irons joining or even the Roskill as major inflection, inflection points and for good reason, but the birth of no man, that's often forgotten. People people forget about this. Oh, they got drunk one time. Well, this was a fucking important point. Yeah. And it might be the most important of these all because, you know, we talked about Jack Irons possibly saving the band in a, in a what if, like forever ago, right? What if Dave doesn't get fired? Right. This happens before that. And this is probably more important, would you say, than that? Oh, I don't. Yeah. I mean, if they hadn't have said no, I don't think that Jack couldn't have repaired this. You know what I mean? It, it would have been an implosion on a galactic scale in the music world. I mean, they would have, they would have gone from like biggest band in the world at the time to the biggest fall from grace. I mean, it would have been the documentary worthy for years. I mean, I mentioned, and, I, and we're grateful obviously that it didn't happen, but I mentioned a few albums or a few bands that had one album and that was it. You know, how many of them though were done by just completely disintegrating? I mean, Jeff died in a right. freak swimming accident, for right. example. Temple of the Dog was supposed to be a one-off. Right. But, you know, Mother Love Bone, Andy dies. Yeah. So, I mean, I wonder how this band would be remembered if they didn't realize their worth and say, no more. We're going to do things on our terms. What's, what's their legacy? I, I think their legacy is um, what could have been. Mm. I, I don't know how you, you listen to 10 or if they made it through verses, probably not because this was 92, right? Or, well, 94, really a lot of the stuff I brought up. So let's say they get through verses. Yeah. Uh, how you drop those two albums and then don't survive after that. I, I can only imagine that the resounding memory would be Pearl Jam was a supernova that just burned too bright for its own good because those two albums are iconic and epic and if that's all they ever did how could you not wonder you know what else would is this the greatest rock band of all time that never was you know what i mean <laughs> you know what it reminds me of the only analogy i can think of would be when the musician dies prematurely right yeah i'm talking amy winehouse i'm talking mm -hmm. kurt cobain i mean they had a few albums but they still did. You, who knows what could, they could have done? I mean, can you imagine if Kurt was alive now? Obviously, there's no Foo Fighters, which would be, you know, I love Foo Fighters, but imagine what Nirvana would be if they were still together at this time with, with a much older, wiser, hopefully healthier Kurt Cobain. Right. It could be fucking brilliant stuff. Jimi Hendrix, hello. Yeah. I mean, we did get like six or seven Zeppelin albums before Bonham, you know, died. But we, we had quite a career from those guys. That, and that was good. That was a good 10 years. Yeah. Um, 11 years, whatever it was. So that's, that's and a little farther away. There will those, there are those that would say in through the outdoor was, you know, the transition that not everybody was excited about. I'm just so. saying, I'm just trying to find out what, where's the point there? Because there's been a number of, a number of bands where you're just like, fuck, what could have been, what, what else yeah. could they have done? No, I mean, look, I, Joplin I maybe, 27, right? Yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I loved, Led Zeppelin always will, and I would have been very curious to see where where they were going. I mean, I get mocked for this all the time. I mean, Presence is one of my favorite Zeppelin albums, and that's <laughs> commonly like Pant is not a great album, but I mean, there's some. I, I, there's some I love the context behind the album. That's a conversation for another day. But uh, you know, Amy Winehouse, just another talent loss. That I mean, you you put that on, it's just the the soul behind that voice. You know what I mean? The pain, the hurt. It's just Hendrix is. I mean. 
enough said, you know what I mean? That, that goes without saying. So I, I completely agree with you. And I think when we reflect back for anybody that has Pearl Jam on the, you know, I hate Let's say you're in the crowd that participates in a message board and says, I hate Pearl Jam. You know, I love the early stuff, but God, I can't stand what they do now. Well, here's the reality. You know, you might say good riddance if they had broken up after, after uh, verses, knowing now what they had become. I would say that the world is a better place in a lot of ways for the music that Pearl Jam has produced because they had the courage to say no. Because the difference this band has made uh, in its efforts to reduce carbon footprint, uh, its efforts to be a, a voice of change, to be uh, an advocate of, of a better society to agitate for uh, you know more more just laws and and legislation and granted and that has nothing to do with their music but a lot of the, the the benefits they played and the music they have produced is is so affecting to me um you the know show I talk, wouldn't exist if they didn't have written not only that, written Jason, affecting music but, but when we when we talk to these cover when we talk to the guys at, at black circle and and um you know uh, all, all Red Mosquito, Red Ten, Mosquito, Ten, Corduroy, yeah. Corduroy. Uh, so much of the music that they tell us inspires them that they love to hear and play. It's not necessarily from just the first two albums. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much that comes out from some of the the, the later music, and that stuff speaks to people. And so, I would say that uh, you know, the loss would be significant. And I'm very grateful that they had the courage to say no, because it was a risk. It was a risk to be that big and say no, when making a music video was almost, it wasn't just a rite of passage. It was almost like a means of survival for necessary, bands back yeah. then. You know, it was necessary. It was like, this is what you do when you get this big. And if you want to stay this big, this is what you continue to do, you know? And they just said, whatever, we're going to, not only are we going to stop doing that, we're going to tour where we want to tour. We're not going to use Ticketmaster anymore. And we're, you know, we're not going to play the same music we played in, in our first two albums. I mean, talk about what could have been career suicide. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and they're still here and making great music. It is a testament to uh, the courage that it takes to follow your own path. And I don't mean this cliche march to the beat of your own drum thing. I'm saying when you recognize that this is a, a, a question of survival, that what you love to do is about to be compromised in such a way that it will no longer fulfill you. That's when you need to have the courage to say no. Everything else, be damned, right? I mean, it, so it, it, it really is, I think, a life lesson on so many levels. I don't think that with, without saying no, you're not going to get the band who plays the benefit for the, you know, um, abortion clinic doctor who gets murdered. You don't get the voters for choice shows. You don't get the vote for change shows. You don't get them standing up for people who can't stand up for themselves, or it's too much of a risk for them to say no just yet. And that takes a lot of balls, but it's the right thing to do. Right. Not just for them, not just for themselves and their legacy, but for themselves as humans. And it, it gave them a precedent to say, this worked because we were true to ourselves and we recognized what we were worth and we were going to fight for the people behind us who can't do it. So saying no to uh, videos and all that shit back in 92, that was um, a bigger deal than people may have th thought. So right. I say we uh, put a pin there and we, uh, we move on to our lyric of the week. All right, Paul, well, we're not going to go to an album here. We're going to go to the song that inspired the birth of No. We'll, we'll say. Our namesake. Buddy. The namesake. Yeah. We're going from the single soundtrack, my friend. We're going with the state of love and trust.
right, Paul? The namesake, there you go, is the first uh, first verse and first chorus, I think, is a good synopsis for this song. Good microcosm. Uh, what say you? Uh, man, talk about, there's something about, like, the, the affirmation, you know, the self-reliance. I've always loved this line. Uh, I'll listen for the voice inside my head. Nothing. I'll do this one myself. <laughs> it's one of my favorite lyrics in all of Pearl Jam's music. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel like this ties in beautifully with what we just talked about, which is the, the birth of now, this, this idea of, uh, trust and, and love of what you do or, or, or trust and love in a relationship and the pretext that seems to overcome some, so many relationships, whether it's your relationship with the industry in which you work and, and the people you work for or, or uh, the person that you're in love with and that you have a relationship with. And, um, you know, these signs that you see and the need to just like grip the wheel as you just continue to, to try and get through this, you know what I mean? Um, and you can't see those signs sometimes though. And I, you know, you, you can't read it. And, uh, this line here, sacrifice, receiving the smell that's on my hands you know what i mean it's it's just there's a level of accountability that you have to own this you really have to own it and at the end of the day you know when you really think about the choices that you make sometimes taking control is the hardest thing to do and we don't always make the right choices when we attempt to do so but it's the act of taking control that matters most because it shows that we accept the fact that life is not fair and we're not going to stand passively on the sidelines. We're going to play an active role in creating our own fate. And, um, you know, I'm just going to do this one myself. You know, <laughs> and sometimes that's what we have to do. The active role. My goodness. Um, I'm going to get to that. Uh, is there a more complicated and complex state than love and trust? Yeah. I mean, you just talked about how how one has to traverse the interconnectivity of those two things. And they're so intertwined, those two concepts, both so strong and yet so fragile because they kind of require each other through strength and commitment. Mm -hmm. And both are earned. So when someone is unfaithful to you, they've broken that trust and thus they've pulled a thread on the sweater of love to use a really cheesy analogy <laughs> metaphor. I should say everything is quickly unraveling once trust is lost. How does one react to another breaking that trust? Well, some are vengeful. Some turn within themselves and use their body as a fort around that healing. Um, a situation like this, especially in formative years when you're younger is both a character builder and a character revealer. And the older we get, the more cynical we tend to become. But being young and in love is something wasted on the youth, I think. <laughs> um, they, we, you know, never appreciate that part of the journey, I think. Wisdom is kind of treated with an eye roll on a good day when you're young. Right. And when you're in the middle of it and you're really feeling it, feeling hurt, open, and vulnerable, where do you turn? So you might... Ask questions to your friends, maybe uh, you turn to a higher power, you know, uh, I listen for the voice inside my head. There you go. But maybe you've got to make a decision yourself. You got to trust yourself that you'll make the right move. And I think that's what it comes down to it is making the decision, as you said, committing to making a decision yourself because you've got to own your story. Right. You know, so Love and trust, man, those, those are two concepts that are pretty much everything. That's life. And how we navigate the breaking of that with certain people is, is what defines us and how we move forward and learn from it. But like I said, when you're young, you do not know how to navigate that, that, that sea, if you will. No, not at all. Hmm. Well, it's an excellent song. And Great song. the lyrics have always intrigued me. So I'm glad we kind of took a stab at this. Let's um listen to the best live version, shall we? 
We should. Ready to stand up! Live cut of the week, Paul. State 11 Trust. I'm very excited. Where are we going? We're going to 1992, as we should be going. Uh, September 20th. Magnuson Park. Drop in the park, buddy. That's where we're going. Um, you know, what's interesting to me about this particular show, and it's always been fascinating to me, is, is the, the background behind it. You know, you've mm-hmm. got 30,000 people in the park for a Seattle show, and it was free. The show was free with tickets, and it was all about voter registration, getting out the vote for the 20, I'm sorry, the 1992 election. And, and they got 3,000 people registered to vote at this concert. That was the estimate anyway. Um, you know, they initially planned to do this show at uh, Gasworks, but the city canceled it. And the crowd size was the biggest concern. And there was a lot of angry calls <laughs> directed at City Hall for that. So, you know, the band goes to Europe, does their thing, plays Magnuson Park when they return in September. And the, the, the genesis of, of this show was born. And this particular show, obviously, was the, the vinyl accompaniment, if I recall, to the, uh, the, the 10 re-release, right? The, the big box set. Um, it's an epic show. It's full of energy, full of life. I mean, they were wiped. These guys were fried from touring. And they just somehow found that second wind. And they brought some of... I mean, it, the energy here... I. It's unfathomable how they could have toured, come back, and put together a show like that. I mean, that is a testament to what these guys were about live. And anybody who was lucky enough to see them back then, to me, this show personifies that. And this version of State of Love and Trust is, is, is a perfect superlative exemplary example of that. So uh, I've always found this to be the most charged version of this song. And, uh, you know, the urgency of the song is beautifully captured in this rendition. So uh, if, you're, if you have a version that you love, I would be shocked if this one isn't at least in your top three. Drop in the Park, September 20th, 1992, Seattle. This is called State of Love is a must.
funny thing about this show, well, I should say, the interesting thing about this show, beyond it being a legendary show, is in the grand scheme of the meat and potatoes of this episode, it was 10 days after the birth of No. Yeah. Just 10 days. Right. So you know, they have that bad night. They decided to take over their destiny. The next night, you heard the clip. Mm-hmm. They played two more nights in Irvine. And, you know, just a few days later, they're in Seattle for this big get out the vote show in a park that was postponed a few months. And they bring the fucking goods. And if you haven't heard this show, I'd be surprised. But I'll tell you what. Uh, there's home video on YouTube matched with the uh, soundboard audio that we have since received. Go do yourself a solid because Garden, Even Flow, I think uh, they play Deep, right? They play um, mm-hmm. Deep, Jeremy, Porch, all, all unbelievable. Once, and obviously, State of Love and Trust. So of course. Go, go watch that. Go watch that. Go listen to that. Anywho, that's the show, gang. And uh, we will have another episode next week. I think we know what we're talking about. Maybe? We'll figure it out. We do. We know what we're talking about. I think we know what we're talking about. Anyways, until that episode next week, thank you for joining us once again. And uh, until then, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Love and Trust.